The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Friday's weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, and this is, of course, your Basketball Jones edition of the show. We are not going to be talking, at least specifically, not going to be talking about fantasy sports today. We're going to be breaking down the playoffs to this point, what it all means for the different teams involved, how that equates to potential futures wagers, and then individual game betting, which I have a... I have an axe to grind on one of the ones from last night, but we'll get all to that in just a moment. I am Dan Basbris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you'd like to give me a follow on Twitter, I would kindly ask that you do. But really, at this point in the offseason, I'm mostly just thanking you guys for continuing to listen to the podcast, making sure that we can continue to have our advertisers, our corporate partners here at Fantasy NBA Today, such as the good folks at Manscaped.com. And the also quite good folks over at mybookie.ag. All right, let's go ahead and just dive into things. I don't know how long it's going to take. It might be long. It might be short. I got no real plan on how far we're diving into this stuff. So we'll just get rolling and see where it takes us. Last night, a recap. Milwaukee once again throttled Miami, 113-84. to I saw some stuff in the middle of the day yesterday. I know I put the podcast out. I recorded yesterday's podcast largely on Wednesday night. So I was a little bit, and, and sometimes it works out well. Sometimes it doesn't. So on the pod, I said I was leaning into the heat uh, in our Discord channel and in our wager pass thread. By the early afternoon, I had actually backed off of that, that lean because I was seeing things that basically told me the heat weren't ready for this series, that the Bucks. Or maybe the, the, the counterpoint is that the Bucks just sort of were. And that what we're seeing more and more in this series is that the Bucks didn't want to be in the bubble. The Heat did. And that was sort of everything, at least early on. Because there's this, there's this new gear that Milwaukee's hit. And they're a mean green fighting machine right now. So a lot of it's true holiday. Not all. And really, maybe even a lot is, is an overstatement. Drew Holiday had 19 points, 12 assists. He was fantastic again. And he's done a wonderful job. He and Chris Middleton and sometimes Giannis kind of trading off with Jimmy Butler on the defensive side. But I think more than anything, what you're seeing isn't so much that Milwaukee has figured out all the perfect counters to paint packing. Because Giannis has been fine in this series, but he hasn't been regular season over-the-moon spectacular Giannis. In fact, I would argue that Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton have actually played a better series than Antetokounmpo to this point. I think what you've seen here is that the Bucks have ratcheted up so hard on the defensive side that the fact that the Heat do have something of a formula for not stopping, but slowing down Giannis, it hasn't been that big of a deal. And we actually talked about this a little bit during the bubble last year, that the Heat defense was fine. It was fine. It wasn't... Everybody made it out like the Heat had solved Milwaukee in the bubble last season. But by all accounts, it was just that the Bucks 
couldn't get out of their own way on the defensive side. They were just letting Miami take wide open three pointers in this, like, we only know how to pack the paint ourselves kind of defense. And it was a massive flop. Miami just kept hitting threes, and the Bucks didn't. And that's not to say that some of the stuff the Heat were doing on defense then and even now wasn't effective. But it was, it was, it was just, it was enough. And this time around, it's not enough because the Bucks have made the necessary adjustments on the defensive side. And you saw it in game one of this series. They were actually willing to play Giannis and Middleton and Holiday. They were willing to play them 40 minutes in a close ball game. Don't let the close ones slip away just because you're married to this 32 minutes a game thing. Now, they could obviously do it in 30-point blowouts, but that's a different beast altogether. So this is a butt-kicking. Uh, I think the the last one probably will be, too. I I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that Miami is demoralized, but they've just been getting picked apart. And so there's really no reason for the Bucks to take their foot off the gas now. And as I look towards the team's next ball game, which is, what day is that? Is that, is that Saturday? Yeah, it's Saturday game. Afternoon game, the only reason I would look at the Miami side is because the Bucks showed themselves in last weekend's afternoon game to be uh, not quite so locked in early in the day. So maybe you say, all right, well, perhaps the Heat are a little bit better in that one. They're catching four and a half points, which is a ton. Has the number finally caught up? I did say that I thought the Heat would cover and it would go under. So at least we got one of the two things going in terms of leans yesterday. I just thought the pace would be a little bit lower. Not that it was. I mean, we got a little bit lucky there. The Heat, uh, they vastly underachieved their pace. The Bucks actually, uh, I believe, overachieved by just a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. Not by much. I think they were almost right on the money. So the Bucks were expected to put up about a buck thirteen, and that's where they ended up. And the Heat were expected to put about one oh six, and that ended under the marker there. So it would have been an under based on pace, but not by nearly as much as it actually went. Uh, middle game also went under. I actually had to lean to all three unders in yesterday's game, and they would have all three hit, and I'll get to my rage on that last ball game in a minute here. If you watched the last one, you know why I'm upset, because that ball game had no business going over by eight points. It had no business going over at all after the first quarter. The pace was crazy slow, but whatever. We'll get to that one. Uh, Lakers beat the Suns 109-95. Jay Crowder, uh, Devin Booker both ejected late in that ball game. Uh, Booker due to a flagrant foul. Crowder, honestly, I actually turned the game off in the final 30 seconds because it was decided I wanted to go watch the end of Portland-Denver, so I didn't actually see what happened to Crowder. And not surprisingly, series starting to get a little chippy. Chris Paul is very much not himself, which I I think kind of takes Phoenix mostly out of this series. We all figured the Lakers would probably get over the hump eventually and they're starting to get there mostly because of ad and dennis schroeder schroeder's been awesome the last two ball games he's been fine he was even okay in the first one although you could see he was kind of getting his win back he was great in this one he was great in game two ad's been really good the last two ball games in a row lebron has been fine but not nearly this spectacular lebron that you'd figured the Lakers might need at some point during the playoffs. So I still have some mild concerns around LeBron James' numbers. Not, not, okay, that's maybe that's not entirely fair. I have some mild concerns around LeBron James and just his overall springiness. 
He had seven turnovers, so the passes weren't as good as usual. Again, only three free throws for LeBron. His team took 30. He only got three of them. Something is amiss, and they don't need it right now because the Suns don't have Chris Paul, and without Chris Paul, the Lakers only need like an 80% LeBron James or whatever the hell he's at right now. He's not 100%. I know some of you are arguing with me on Twitter about it. He's not 100%. Watch the games and tell me this is a guy that's anywhere near 100%. He's not attacking. I don't think he's attacked DeAndre Ayton but one time in like the whole series. And I get it. Ayton's having a really good series, but he's also not the premier rim protector in the NBA. If the Lakers run into Rudy Gobert and the Jazz, uh, there's real trouble because LeBron needs to be a guy that can go right at him. I guess that wouldn't be until the uh, conference finals and perhaps he'll be mostly healthy by then, but who knows? I don't think anyone is happier about how long the playoffs go right now than LeBron James because... If it was every other day in the bubble, I don't know that he'd have the time, but there's a couple days off in between games at some points here, and we get ahead of ourselves a tiny bit. But if the Lakers can wrap this series up in five, say, then they'd have a little bit of time. And right now, I think that's probably what's on their mind, because they feel like, I think the Lakers feel like they've turned the corner on this series. They have the edge. They're out-rebounding the Suns now two games in a row. They've outshot the Suns here in this one. Uh... Free throw discrepancy is going to most likely tip in the Lakers' favor just because they're gigantic. And Phoenix, there's only like one dude on that team that actually takes it to the rim, and it's Booker. I guess Aiton, you could maybe say, but sort of a different beast there. And then the only problem, as you look at this one for L.A., was the turnovers. They had 20 of them. Five for Anthony Davis, seven for LeBron James. That's just not going to cut it against a full-strength Phoenix Suns team or some other club further down the line in these same playoffs. But what do we make of this series going forward? First of all, uh, 109-95, the final score here. So 204, the final. We had the under. I just I looked at this and I said, I don't see how this is a series that has the pace to get over. The pace was actually a little bit quicker in this one, uh, largely because there were a lot of missed shots. It's, it's interesting how that actually can factor into how a ball game is going. So Phoenix was expected to get to about 108 at the pace the ball game moved. The Lakers, with all their turnovers and stuff, they were expected to be at like 120. So this game by pace, actually, you probably looked at it and thought, well, maybe it should have gone over. But it's also, you know, a lot of what we saw in this game was that the teams were coming down, missing shots, going back the other way, missing another shot. And so it was like catch and go, and the shots were going up quickly, but nobody was making any of them. I don't know what some made buckets might have done to the final score of this ballgame, but given how many turnovers there were, it's it's actually worth exploring the idea that the next one in this series might then finally go over. The uh, total for the last few games in a row, actually, Lakers-Suns, it started the, the first game the Lakers lost. The total was about 213-214. It dropped to 211 Yesterday's game was also right around 211. Their next one isn't until Sunday, so everybody has some time to rest and recuperate. That one's currently sitting at 210. I'd probably look at the over in that one. I think Phoenix shoots the ball better. Not not a bunch, not a lot better, because the Lakers' defense has now kind of figured things out a little bit. So don't overcompensate there. But someone's going to make some shots. 
Someone's going to take care of the ball. Like, 37 turnovers is an outrageous number. The only way that that next one stays under is if the free throws come way down. And that's a possibility. I don't think it's going to. And then Lakers covered in this one. They were 6.5-point favorite. They won by 14. And, I mean, at this point, the line on the next one, by the way, is the same. Lakers by 6.5. It comes down to sort of the who's healthier, LeBron or Chris Paul, and right now it's LeBron by a pretty good deal. Neither one of them is 100%. I don't think either one of them is close, but Chris Paul's at like 60 and LeBron's at like 80 or 85. So that puts him at least in the vicinity. Also on Thursday evening, Denver beat Portland 120-115, to and I am irate that this godforsaken game went over the total because it had no damn business going over the posted total. This game was tied at 91 with under seven minutes to go. I mean, if you want to look at the box score and look at the quarter-by-quarter breakdown and then tell me this ballgame belonged in an over category, I will argue with you until the day I die. It had no business getting to the over. Oh, I'm so mad about this stupid thing. Oh, I'm so mad about it. This ballgame, pace-wise, should have been way under the mark. Oh, I'm so upset. Denver should have been at around 110. Portland uh, should have been at around 113, I think. 223. So it should have stayed under, just on pace alone. But I don't even give a crap about pace, because if you watched this game... You know the only reason it got there is because of fouling and three-pointers in the last 60 seconds. Oh, I'm so mad. I'm so mad about this. Oh, my God. I was uh, I was seeing a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in God knows I don't know how many long, how many years, um, and the game was on in the background, and I, he was probably pissed because I kept checking it with my eyes, and I'm looking at it going, you kidding me? You kidding me? Like, did you guys see it? The fourth quarter, the team scored 72 points. And most of it came in the final minute. Look at the play-by-play for this game. That'll make you as angry as I was. Well, I guess it won't make you that angry if you, were, if you weren't betting it. But uh, look at the play-by-play for when all the fouling started. That's really what killed us. Because... Uh, I think it started with like 45 seconds to go, which, by the way, uh, that's like college fouling with 45 seconds left, starting that crap with 45 seconds to go. Um, with 43 seconds to go, the score was Denver 111, Portland 103. So they were at 214. With 40 seconds to go. We had 13 points of wiggle room in 40 seconds. And I thought, all right, well, we're fouling early here, but if Denver makes their free throws, which they did in that moment, it's going to be at 216. And then if Portland misses a shot, they probably just let it go. Because once you're down 10 and the team that's up has the ball, it's kind of over. I guess you foul again, you're down 12. If you miss again, it's over. Like, you still cover. We still had we had plenty of room at that point. We still had 11 
points of space. But Portland hit their three-pointer. And then Denver hit two more free throws. And then Portland hit another three-pointer. And then Denver made, I think, one out of two free throws on the next one. And then Portland hit another three-pointer. And that put the ball game over. But they weren't done yet. Because Denver hit two more free throws. And Portland hit another three-pointer. And then Denver missed their free throws. And Jokic got an offensive rebound. And tipped it in, and that got us to our final score. I mean, this was, it was everything you hate (laughs) if you have an under in the final minute of a basketball game. Portland hit four three-pointers in a row to keep them fouling and keep the game going. Remember what I said? 214 with 40 seconds to go, and it ended at 235. 21 points scored in the final 40 seconds seconds of this godforsaken ball game. Ah! Well, if you're a betting man, which I am, I'm probably going back to the well, and I might be going double or nothing kind of thing, because, again, this game had no business going over. Total's been adjusted up to 228. I've got to think it gets bet up even higher than that, because people see 235 and think it wasn't that close, but that ball game was all under... Everything about it was an under. The teams shot the right amount for it to go under, but they extended the game by five, six possessions in the last 40 seconds, and still the pace was ticked to the under. But the three-pointers, Denver hit 20 three-pointers in that ballgame yesterday. Portland hit 14, but again, four of them coming in a 30-second span at the end of the ballgame. Ah, brutal. I think you have to assume that Portland is set to bounce back in their next one, but I wouldn't say anything is set in stone because Denver's a bunch of fighters, and Portland, uh, to put a knock on the Blazers, still hasn't really figured out how to slow them down. Jokic had 36 on 24 shots. Again, they're never going to stop him. But the rest of the guys were pretty good too. Austin Rivers had 21. Portland, you got to figure something out. Yusuf Nurkic fouled out. In 32 minutes, that was actually a pretty big deal down the stretch. Blazers better figure it out, man. It can't be Dame just scoring a ton to try to keep him in the ballgame. they got to defend somebody, and they just haven't figured it out. If you can't defend this Nuggets roster around Nikola Jokic, you're in real trouble. So, sure, everybody thought Portland, myself included, after winning Game 1, had a pretty good formula to this thing, but the Nuggets have made a pretty good adjustment to their own credit. And you look at the free throw discrepancy, but a lot of that was, again, in that final 45 seconds of the ballgame. Portland's got to figure this thing out. And these ballgames, I think, are probably going to be tight the rest of the way. So I would consider Denver catching four again in that next road game. I just, I don't know how the Nuggets offense slows down, really. And if you want to go all the way back to the first game of this series, when the Blazers won it, 123-109, to and figure out how they were able to pull away at all, It's because they shot 19 free throws and the Nuggets only shot eight. Even in that first ball game, Denver was right there. If they get a few more foul shots, if Portland doesn't hit 19 threes, that's another tight ball game. So I think this is one where you probably just take the points. If anybody's getting more than one possession, you just take the points. Denver leads their series two games to one. Lakers lead their series two games to one. And the Bucks lead their series three games to none. Now, let's take a look at what's coming up. The other series. There are plenty of other ones we haven't talked about yet. New York in Atlanta. First game uh, in Atlanta. Hawks favored by five. And that's too many points. 
That's too many points. Uh, you guys know I like the Hawks to win this series, but on a game-to-game basis, they're going to be tight. And by all accounts, by all reports, uh, Atlanta is actually home to a very large Knicks population. So there will be a home court advantage, but it's not entirely clear exactly how powerful it's going to be. Total is set at 211 points in this ballgame. The last one ended at 193 I thought, well, maybe there's a chance that one goes over. But let's let's do some more math on this one. Knicks got to 101, but actually, they probably should have been in the 110 to 115 range. The Hawks got to 92, and they should have been in the 106-ish range. So you roll that all together, and the 193 final score kind of belying what we actually saw in that ballgame. Now, here's the thing. This is a series that is going to be played under the expected pace total. So it's not like we can look at this and say, well, the Hawks should have been at uh, 106, and the Knicks, due to their rebounding advantage and turnover advantage, should have been at you know 115, So the final total should have been 221. Well, it doesn't work that way. Yes, they did underachieve by a lot, but if your pace says 221, you have to factor into account that the Knicks are going to be playing this game defensively first. The Hawks are probably going to be playing this game defensively first also. They actually became a pretty good defensive team as the season went on. So you have to make that adjustment as it's going. The total is at 211, which, again, continues to come down. So if if the expected pace was 221, is that 10-point window enough to cover the fact that you're probably going to get these teams underachieving from a scoring standpoint? And to me, the answer is uh, probably not. I think there's still a very real chance this game stays under the posted total. I think they, the teams will perform better offensively than they did in the last one, but getting from 193 to 211 on better offense is murky. That's a lot to cover. So I like the Knicks catching five points here. I find it, uh, I find it hard to believe that almost anybody's going to... I know that they, the Knicks did win by more than five in that last ballgame, but I just I don't... I don't know how these games get decided by more than five points on a consistent basis. I'd rather take the underdog catching a chunk in the ball game, and then you know, assuming the Knicks are able to keep this thing in kind of a grind type of ball game, how does it get to 211? I just I don't see it. So I would lean to the under again, although I realize that the pace suggested otherwise, so probably leave that total alone. Brooklyn favored by 8.5 points over Boston on the road. Nets lead this series two games to none, and everybody's pretty much written Boston off for dead. And I haven't seen anything to tell me that they shouldn't at this point. Jason Tatum is good to go. He had an eye thing that knocked him out midway through the last ballgame, but they really weren't close. Um, Boston's going to have to figure out a way to score. And I look at some of the numbers from that last ballgame, and, and the first one as well, and there's just, Boston has no answer for the Nets. Not that many teams do, but you got to find a way to keep up a little bit. Can they keep up? Boston's playing like the Nets' defense is something extraordinary and special. I just, I'm not seeing that side of things. Uh, I do think Boston keeps this one close. I think they've, they've well, ah, boy. 
from a strict like what you've seen in the past standpoint, this would be a lot like the game with my, uh, Milwaukee and Miami yesterday, where at a glance it's like, well, Miami, like they played really poorly their first two ball games. They're probably due to have one where they're not so awful. Yeah, that's sort of true, but at the same time, the Bucks are a juggernaut and they're and they're laser focused. And in this one, Boston doesn't to me really look like they want to be playing anymore. They kind of look like they want to go home. So I don't want to touch the side. I don't want to bet on a team that, to me, looks like they're getting out-efforted. And maybe being back home, maybe that does the trick. I certainly wouldn't bet Brooklyn laying 8.5 on the road. That's a ridiculous number to lay in a road playoff game. But I'm struggling to find enough reasons to back Boston. So I'd probably leave the side alone. If I'd go anywhere, I'd go Boston, but I don't think I am. And then on the total, you know Brooklyn wants to just open it up and run. And... Looking at that last ball game, pace was pretty good. Uh, Brooklyn obviously overachieved by quite a bit. Boston, the opposite story there. Do they get into the 230 range again? It probably comes down to whether or not the Celtics can make a few shots. I'm inclined to think they probably do make a few here back at home. So I would lean ever so slightly to the over, but probably not touching that either. And then the Clippers laying two and a half in Dallas. What's going to wake them up? I don't know. I really don't know. This is, uh, man, this is, the, the Clippers are, whew, they are not looking good. They lost 127-121, let the Mavericks shoot basically 65% for the entire ball game until the scrubs came in and missed some shots late. And I guess that's not entirely true. It's just a few clangs as, as uh, Things were running out in the fourth quarter. It wasn't the scrubs. That's not fair. <sighs> I struggle with this one because the Clippers' pace should have been at about 107. Mavericks' pace should have been at about 105. I mean, that's 212. That's nowhere near 248. And so I look at this and I'm like, what's going to change? Are the Clippers going to finally play some defense? Are the Mavs going to finally cool off from three-point land? Everything in that last ballgame pointed to a series where no one can guard anybody. Kawhi had 41, Luka 39, Kristaps 20, Tim Hardaway Jr. 28, Paul George 28. What's the answer? I want to bet the under. I want to say, oh, the Clippers are finally going to get a little focused on the defensive side. And or the Mavericks are finally going to start missing some three-pointers. But that feels like me trying to be the smartest guy in the room when... Everything we've seen to this point suggests that Dallas is just hot and the Clippers don't have a way to guard them without trying to make the other guys win. And then it ended up burning them on both sides. So the Clippers tried to take the ball out of Luka's hands late, and so he didn't have that great of a fourth quarter, but the other guys just lit him up instead. That strategy generally only works if the other guys aren't in rhythm at that point of the ballgame, but they were too. I don't know. I have no idea. The Clippers are going to have to try something here. I don't know what it's going to be. But whatever they're trying right now is not working. And I don't see the obvious adjustment for this team. So as much as the pace Dallas doesn't like to run, as much as the pace would suggest perhaps a game is due to go under, I, I don't have the stones, I don't think, to go there with it. And then on the side, I still haven't seen anything to make me think that the Clippers have figured this thing out. Why put my faith in a team that just continuously urinates down their leg in playoff games. 
It just keeps happening. And I keep coming on this podcast and saying, well, the Clippers, they're like, they're ready. They're, you know, Kawhi is playoff tested, blah, blah, blah. Someone's going to figure this thing out. I, I just, I think I'm, I think I may have now finally lost faith in my Clippers plays. Of course, that'll probably be the day that they wake up and win one. But yeah, I mean, I don't, probably not touching this ball game ever so slightly to the under on the side with the expectation that maybe these teams finally do grind one out a little bit. But yeah, rough. Uh, the only series, to, a couple of series we haven't talked about so far, and then we'll put a pin in this thing for the weekend. Philly leads Washington two games to none. The Sixers did, in fact, wake up in that last one, put the clamps in on defense. Really, Bradley Beal was kind of the only wizard to get it going. Sixers laying five and a half on the road in Washington. Uh, I, I don't really believe, like, I, I think Philly's now kind of figured this thing out. Russ had to leave that last ball game early, but I'd be... Very surprised if he missed any games of these playoffs. And uh, the Sixers, if they're locking in on defense, then there's just no series here. That was the question going into that last ball game. I thought, all right, well, if you think Philly's going to care, you take Philly and the under. If you think Washington's, if you think Philly's not going to care, you take Washington and the over. It was a correlated parlay. And it's probably the same story for their game tomorrow. Total of 227.5, Philly by 5.5. If you think Washington is going to make shots and you think Philly's going to say, oh, well, this is an easy series, then you take Washington the over. If you think Philly continues to lay the clamps in, you take Philly and the under. I don't actually know. I think I'm inclined to lean Philly and the under, uh, but it's possible this one just gets mishmashed, and because the line's not quite as large, because the game is in Washington now, then there's a way that correlated parlay falls apart a little bit. So a slight lean to Philly. I just I think they've now kind of figured things out on the Washington side. And Russ, playoffs historically have been very difficult for him because teams pack the paint. He has to shoot. It doesn't end well. Uh, and the total of 227.5 makes me think, look, if they figured out Russ and it's just Beal against the world, you lean to the under. And then Utah and Memphis, Jazz by five, total of 224 which is a strikingly low number considering the last ball game hit 270. But we do have to remember that it's actually a five-point upward adjustment off of the last one, which had a total of 219.5. That ball game was nuts. The pace was nuts. The results were nuts. Memphis was on pace for 115. They scored 129. Utah uh, was on pace for about 117. And they scored 141. So either way, that ball game was on pace to go over. But a lot of it was because Memphis fell behind. Utah hit a truckload of three-pointers early. And so the Grizz were just like, all right, well, we got to score, and we got to score fast. And then the Jazz just came back down and hit another three ball. It was a, that was a pretty wild ball game in every respect. Nobody was guarding anyone. Um, it worked out from a Utah standpoint. I don't know if this is really how they wanted to win the ball game. I think they want to try to slow Memphis down a little bit more. And until I see that happen, I don't know that I can get on board with an under in this series. I would certainly, I'm not betting the over because I, I think they're like that line is going to attract a ton of over money after the last one. They could set that line almost at anything and it's going to attract a ton of over money. I've got to think without even looking at line movement, I haven't even looked at it. I've got to think that that thing, you're probably going to see some sharp money coming in on the underside. Just because, like, look at some of the peripheral stats on that last ball game. Both teams shot 54% from the field. Teams combined to take 69 free throws 
in a regulation game with only 23 turnovers, so that's not too many. They're just There weren't that many steals. So you're telling me that a lot of this stuff was just like half-court offense, fast buckets. That's pretty weird for a playoff game. But anything's possible. Ja had 47. Jazz had like 15 guys scoring double figures and all the three-point. And that's, I mean, that's the thing, though. For Utah, they make three-pointers. That's been their bread and butter this year. The lack of defense was a little bit upsetting. They, like, they'd, you score 141, you should probably cover easily, and they covered by a bucket in that game. So for this one, with the line obviously coming way down, the game now in Memphis. By the way, shout out to our Hoopball Grizz family here at Hoopball, who will be in attendance as members of the media at uh, that Memphis playoff game. That's absolutely incredible, guys. Have a blast. Uh, cover the game like pros, like I know you can. I hope everybody follows at Hoopball Grizz on Twitter because there's going to be legit in-arena NBA coverage going on from those Hoopball Grizzlies guys. That's David and Isaac. Amazing work, dudes. I'm really, I'm proud of you guys. That's so cool. That's so cool. You guys are members of the media now. <laughs> I love it. Um, so Utah by five, total 224. Slightly into the under, but I probably can't touch it just because of what we saw in that last ball game. It just that's too gross of a bet to try to rely on. Uh, and then on the side, oh, five man, I really wanted to get more with the Grizzlies. Utah wasn't as good on the road late this season. Donovan Mitchell does his swagger push them over the top? I probably lean Memphis in the under ever so slightly in that ball game. Uh, looking towards Saturday. And that's your playoff preview slash playoff recap edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Again, on Monday, we will loop back around and uh, conclude the chat that we began on yesterday's podcast because there's plenty of fantasy stuff to still go over here the rest of the way. Day 10 of the offseason. Monday, we're going to go into the numbers here on drafting injured players a little bit more. That was uh, kind of the... Because we talked a bit about the anecdotal side of things, but I wanted to talk more about the the top seed and why that target is so relevant in head-to-head. So that's coming up on Monday's edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. A little break from fantasy to talk betting and the playoffs. Two weeks of the offseason now. Put it in your pocketbook. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Back at you day 11 on Monday. That's not fair, I guess. It's weekday, day 11. So I got to do weeks. Because I haven't been counting the weekends. Ah, whatever. Who cares? We'll talk to you then either way. Whatever you want to call it, we'll talk to you on Monday. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.